if we're following Christ, if we're following the letters Paul wrote, uh, we're not supposed to allow government mandates to override objective biblical morals. Good morning, happy people. Welcome to the Aptcast. This is Alex, your co-host. <laughs> uh, Wes is not joining us today. He had some computer issues this week. We tried twice to have the show on Tuesday and then again on Wednesday, and his MacBook crashed on him twice. So I'm going solo this week. Since I'm going solo, I am going to play it a little off the cuff. Uh, as I think the topic we had planned for this week is better served with both of us on the line giving some back and forth. Uh, we've got a little bit of a difference of opinion on that topic, and it would play better as a comparison of opinions plus some application of Scripture. So instead, I'm going to do a little bit of evaluation of this week in politics and give some opinion on things I'm disappointed with in people claiming to be Christians. Uh, so, first off, I want to identify that I am not judging anyone. Uh, I will not point out the speck in anyone's eye. While I have a log in my own, this is more a general attitude of Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, on the subject of politics. Uh, based on events of this week, although I will uh, point out a couple of things from a couple of public figures that kind of disappointing. So first off, we have the Monday caucuses in Iowa, which were an absolute joke. If you haven't heard, <clears throat> excuse me, there was an app produced by a company called Shadow. Yes, this company is actually called Shadow, and they created an app to collect and transmit the results from the caucuses, and they have a mission statement, a moniker, that is basically their entire purpose for existing is to push progressive politics, like make it easier for progressive politicians to uh, win elections and dominate politics. So two interesting facts. Uh, the personnel who created and run this organization have direct ties to Hillary Clinton campaigns and Mitt Romney campaigns. Uh, 
one of them was a chief of staff for Hillary Clinton. There's a CIO, a CEO, and a COO involved in this company. And two of them are tied to Hillary Clinton, Clinton campaigns, and one of them tied to Romney campaign. Now, one of the ironic things I've seen online is, I think this was on a Snopes Facebook article, there was someone commenting about the Romney connection and how it was Republicans, some conspiracy theory about Republicans destroying the Democrat Iowa caucuses, which was comical because there's far more ties to Mayor Pete. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. And even more so than him to Hillary Clinton. Now, Mayor Pete kind of stacked the deck here with some input to one of the local newspapers. And whatever, historically, whatever the local newspapers in Iowa say is the trend for votes for the caucus ends up being self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if people hear locally that so-and-so is the front-runner and they end up winning, and the research seems to think that the papers create a popularity contest kind of scenario where the person who wins won more so because everyone heard they were the front runner and they wanted to vote for the front runner. I mean, you even saw that in some of the articles about the caucuses. Uh, one lady was standing with the caucus for, I believe it was Elizabeth Warren, may have been Bernie Sanders, but I think it was Elizabeth Warren, and no one was talking to her. And someone from the Mayor Pete caucus came over and started socializing with her and she changed her vote because she felt more comfortable with the person talking to her it's just absurd so forget policies forget stances forget voting record the person changed their vote for who they wanted as the president of the united states based on the fact that they were uncomfortable not being spoken to by the people in the caucus they had chosen and someone, one person from another caucus came and talked to, the, to her. So she changed her vote. Guys, it, it, if, you're, if you're voting emotionally and not voting for legitimate, valid political or social stances of the, of the candidate, why are you there? You're better off not voting and letting other people vote for you if you're just going to vote on a motion. So, this is an interesting set to the stage this week. So, back to the app. Uh, the app this company called Shadow created crashed. So, we went more than 24 hours without getting results from these caucuses. And then, surprise, surprise, Mayor Pete ends up in the front when prior to this claim by the newspaper over the weekend, there was no indication whatsoever he had any popularity at all in the state of Iowa. So it's a really suspicious situation because Biden ended up fourth right in front of a woman who almost no one knows. Uh, 
uh, Amy Kobluchar, her, uh, again, I may be mutilating her last name, uh, was in fifth. Joe Biden was in fourth. And then Bernie and Mayor Pete were sitting on the top of the stack with 24 and 25% of the vote. Now, no one was surprised by Bernie being at the top. But Mayor Pete winning? He's been a nobody in this campaign. And yet, this organization tied to Hillary Clinton and Mayor Pete having influence over the local papers and them running that he was the front runner. You have the app crash and reporting delayed by more than 24 hours. You have video of caucuses doing a coin toss and cheating on the coin toss in the middle of a video. It's not like they even tried to hide it. They they coin tossed for who got the delegates. And the the young guy, it looked like uh, a Hispanic guy, the young guy flipped the coin, landed it, someone told him to flip it over, and he put it in his uh, palm, and then picked it up and turned it again. And then everybody looked down at it and saw that it was heads. Mayor Pete had had heads. They're like, Mayor Pete wins, woo! And it's just... It's even worse than when they shafted Bernie in 2016 and in spite of him winning, gave superdelegates to Hillary. It's happening again, people. And y'all think... Excuse me. Most of the people listening to this podcast probably don't think this. But people out there legitimately think that Russia won the election for Trump over Hillary? Everyone saw how the Hillary machine, the DNC, Hillary's uh, organization, the caucuses in the states, uh, the primaries in the states, the delegates and superdelegates voted for who they wanted to instead of voting for who the people wanted. Bernie Sanders, the people in this case being Democratic voters. And y'all think Trump is the problem? Come on, seriously. Anyway, so results finally come out more than 24 hours after they're supposed to be out. And shocker, Mayor Pete has won with all of this suspicious stuff going on, all this collapse. What's what's most funny here is that the same people who are paying this organization to create this app to collect data on the caucuses are the same people you who want socialized medical care, socialized everything else, public housing, basic income. It's the same people who can't even get an app right and report caucus results that you won't run in your lives. That's why people on the right in the libertarian community think it's such a joke to think that government could efficiently run anything. That's how the week started. Then you have the State of the Union address. Wow. So Trump made several claims, and I'm not going to get into all the fact-checking, but he wasn't accurate, which is typical of Trump, but he wasn't completely false on everything he said. Uh, There were a lot of the talking heads in the media and your typical never-Trump politicians 
who called him out as just being a bald-faced liar and everything he said was false. You had people, Congress members, not even show up. Others walk out and protest. Uh, members of the squad, the four freshman congresswomen, the ultra-progressives, uh, were among those who either refused to come at all in protest or walked out in protest. And it's, it, it's just a joke because... If the quote-unquote fact-checkers were as biased against the liberals as they are the conservatives, their claims would be just as obviously quote-unquote false as anything Trump said on Tuesday night. Okay, So you've got truth layered with exaggeration, layered with a handful of just bald-faced lies. Okay, That's a politician. That's normal politicians speak. But these quote-unquote fact-checkers who their buddies in the media say are unbiased, dang echo chamber, I was going to use a different term, but I won't do that here, Uh, dang echo chamber confirmation bias for the people who depend on them. You get publications showing... uh, You get charts from research organizations that are showing the accuracy, the reliability, and the left versus right bias of various media organizations. And Fox News barely sits above the line of conspiracy theory level crap. Like PJ Media and InfoWars on the right, Occupied Democrats and Palmer Report on the left, Fox News is barely 10 points above that on the bias chart. And then you see other charts that show coverage of Trump, and Fox News has 49% positive, 51% negative coverage of Trump in a chart that shows your, your top five typical quote-unquote mainstream media outlets other than Fox, your CNN, your NBC, your CBS News, stuff like that, those five have a 70% or higher CNN having a 95% negative coverage of Trump. And now keep in mind this chart doesn't show neutral coverage, so it could be that 60% of the coverage is neutral, but coverage beyond the neutral is 95% negative, which is going to bias anyone who watches their coverage to consider even the neutral stuff as negative. So charts like this claim that an outlet like Fox News is, is barely more reliable than PJ News the Western Journal, or InfoWars, while CBS News, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg are the epitome of factual reporting. And you have people just trusting that out of hand because they agree politically with those outlets. Nobody questions where the information or the standard 
you know, by what standard are they determining the bias or the accuracy of stories? Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a perspective. So if the perspective of the people creating these charts is such that they have their own extreme left or right biases, that's going to be reflected in the charts. And that is reflected in the chart in as much as CNN news, TV news, has a 10-point higher analysis reliability fact report rating than Fox News does. And New York Times has a 10-point higher rating than them. It's absurd that people rely on these. It's just a confirmation bias chart. It's not anything based on objective, consistent fact. So the fact-checking of Trump on Tuesday night in and of itself is kind of a joke. So I put no credence in that. I do my own research on the accuracy. Some of his claims on the economy were pretty out there. We do have a stronger economy than we did under Obama. We do have better job rates. We have the estimators who do job growth forecasting being shocked every single month with how much higher his job growth is than forecasts. But the kicker is their forecasts sometimes are very low, uh, not even enough to keep up with new workers coming into the economy, you know, growing, aging into the economy from teenagers to adults. Uh, I think it's something like 180,000 180, jobs a month necessary to keep up with population growth. And some months their forecasts are not above that. But the job growth rate is above that. So I think that's where they're getting shocked. We have job growth rate higher than the necessary levels to keep, theoretically, keep everyone employed. Um, income has increased higher than under Obama. Uh, minority, especially minority boys in the 18 to 28 range, I think, maybe 18 to 24, is at a historic low. But the economy is not growing nearly as fast as the stock market, as uh, consumer confidence in the market would indicate. Uh, Obama, excuse me, not Obama. Trump's first year in office, we had an over 3% growth rate, something Obama said would never happen again. Trump's first year in office. But year two and year three, they were back below 3%. They were back in the range where they were at the end of Obama's term. So overall, Trump's economy has not had the growth he expected. Some of that can be attributed to stagnation around the uh, taxes, the import taxes, the tariffs, uh, the trade war-related stuff. Some of that can be tied to lack of demand for uh, corn products with his EPA relaxation of some of the ethanol rules uh, or re reduction of increases and in restrictions, rather, not really easing of rules, uh, slowing down or removing 
planned implementation of stricter rules is more what's going on there. <clears throat> He's more coal, natural gas, and oil-friendly than Obama was. So there's a lot playing into the stagnation that could be long-term benefits. They could be long-term problems. We don't really know because a lot of the economic theory around the benefit or negative impact of tariffs as heavily as he's been using them is mostly theory. Uh, in modern times, it really hasn't been applied the way Trump is using it, uh, at least not in the U.S. So we'll see what his most recent trade agreement with China results in. The, the second phase of the trade agreement with China, which hasn't occurred yet, is where all the all the power, all the change is really going to occur. So if that happens in the next year or two, we'll really see some increase in the economy. But one of the things he was so self-congratulatory about on Tuesday, his economy, some of the in indicators show changes that Obama said would, would just never happen again. We wouldn't have trade jobs. Uh, they, they would never come back. What was he going to do? Use a magic wand to get us back above 3%, blah, blah, blah. There are indicators that his economy is better than Obama and Obama economists thought was even possible. But it is not nearly the historic high economy overall that he says. So there is some truth to it. But then you have the fact checkers uh, focusing in on the things that aren't quite accurate within that claim and you know muddy in the waters obfuscating on the on the facts behind his claim. So that's where his simple language and willingness to make outlandish claims that can be supported by facts but aren't really factual really come back to bite him with people who already don't like him. Uh, but then you get into uh, the in interaction between him and Pelosi. Pelosi had introduced him to begin the night without using the proper etiquette of welcoming him, saying it was her honor and privilege to introduce the president. She just said, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. That was a real shady etiquette lapse right there, and it was intentional. And then Trump stands up to the stage. He hands Pence a copy, a folder-covered copy of his State of the Union speech, and then he turns and hands Pelosi a copy of it. And you can tell from his mannerisms, he's not happy, right? I mean, he he's right in the middle of an impeachment hearing process, or an impeachment trial, rather, in the Senate. And... She goes and doesn't use the proper etiquette to introduce him, giving yet another jab at him. So he stands up on stage, hands Pence a copy of the a folded copy of the speech, turns and hands her a folded copy of the speech. She takes it with her right hand, puts her left hand on the folder, and then as he's turning away, extends her hand as if to handshake. She made no indication when he was actually facing her that she was going to be uh, cordial and shake his hand. As he's turning away, she extends a hand. The, the, the video and the GIF captures 
from the various camera angles make it look like he's not even looking at her by the time she starts to extend her hand. And all the Democrats are like, oh, he refused to shake her hand. Well, first off, she didn't follow the proper etiquette for her responsibility. So if he did refuse, which I don't think he did, she started the petty childishness. Okay, So if Trump was petty, he had no right to be petty. But it was in response to her being unprecedentedly petty by not properly introducing him. And then you see video, <clears throat> excuse me, of her ripping up the speech at the end. Just the most childish, petulant behavior you could possibly imagine. And the Democrats ate it up because, oh, he's a liar. Everything he said was a lie. Let's forget the fact that he recognized a 100-year-old airman the widow and child of a deceased service member, several other special guests. Uh, there was a lady, a family of a victim of immigrant violence, something along those lines. All these special people who he had identified during his speech, their names, their stories were in that speech. So she didn't just rip up a document full of Trump lies and propaganda, she ripped up a document that represented the best of our country and active, necessary rec recognizations of you know, what makes this country great, right? Her showmanship, even before you found out what came out the next day, her showmanship Tuesday night to rip it up as a political statement played well with her base, but it's it's just par for the course for the petty showmanship and play acting that is our current political environment. So I hinted at a couple of things in there. There was video that came out the next day. We're talking about Tuesday night, the State of the Union address. Wednesday morning, there's video that comes out showing that she had, during the speech, pre-ripped the paper. She, it's in the middle of the speech. There's only two pages turned, and it was five or six pages long worth of speech outline. She had pre-ripped the pages. So this wasn't an impromptu reaction to either him supposedly snubbing her and refusing to shake her hand or as an impromptu reaction to all the quote-unquote lies in his speech. This was staged. This was planned. She had always intended to rip this thing up. And it's just sad that people are fooled by that. Now, Trump made some pretty outlandish claims about his success, his progress, his economic success. You know, I won't even get into the fact that although a president's executive policies can affect the economy, the president does not create economic growth. Uh, the government policy can affect economic growth, but it is not the core driver. So aside from that detail, Trump made some pretty outlandish claims that, you know, the same types of claims made by every president in their State of the Union address. But 
the sheer absurdity of the quote-unquote resist movement just makes it... You know, as Wes and I both mentioned last week, neither one of us voted for Trump in 2016, but he's growing on both of us. Wes seems to be at the point where he might vote for him right now. I'm still not there. But good grief, if this kind of petulant garbage keeps up, I may vote for him out of spite for the whole process. Uh, I would rather have a candidate I want to vote for, but if the Libertarians push somebody like Gary Johnson or you know someone just as goofy as him in the Libertarian Party or the Constitution Party doesn't have someone as capable or as ethical as Daryl Castle, then... I may vote for him, or I may, for the first time in my life, abstain from a presidential vote. Who knows? But it, it, it's just sad how much a game it is and how many people are so invested in the game and opposing the quote-unquote other side that they just can't see it for what it is. Uh, and then lastly, the third thing I wanted to touch on is the impeachment vote yesterday. So, abuse of power, Article 1. One Republican broke ranks, and I'm not at all surprised at which Republican did break ranks. Excuse me. One Republican broke ranks and voted for Article 1, abuse of power, and that was Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney claimed that the reason he voted for that article was... His Christian faith did not let him stand for the abuse that Trump had in his actions. Now, let's all forget that the Democrats did not defend their case against him for abuse of power at all. Every objection they had, every piece of evidence they had was hearsay that was con contradicted by hard evidence. Okay, they, they had a handful of people saying, yeah, he did this, he did that. It was always about a quid pro quo. And yet every piece of hard evidence they had showed the exact opposite. So you have to believe, emotionally believe he was wrong to ignore that the Democrats provided no verified or verifiable facts to support the case for Article 1. So Mitt Romney used morality, which is ironic coming from a Mormon, uh, as his justification for voting for Article 1. And even he did not vote for Article 2. So Article 2, the obstruction of Congress, was a sham claim in the first place, right? The House did not go through the process of getting the courts to confirm that they had the authority, the validity, to force compliance from the executive branch with their subpoenas. Uh, they, they tried to subpoena Trump, subpoena documents, subpoena practically everybody and their brother from the executive branch and just claim, well, because we're impeaching you, you have to comply. That's, that's not how our separate but equal government works. Uh, there is significant precedence that shows that they have to take it to the courts 
if the executive branch thinks they don't have to comply, and if the courts say, yes, you do have to comply, then they have to comply, then if they don't, they're obstructing Congress. If the courts say they don't have to comply, then they, they are demonstrably, objectively, factually not obstructing Congress. It never got to that stage because the only person who actually went to the courts and had the whole process play out, Congress, the House of Representatives, actually retracted their demand, their subpoena. So one of the Trump officials uh, they wanted to speak to in their hearings was subpoenaed to come to court. And he filed a request with the courts asking if he was obligated to go. And before the courts could even reply, the House of Representatives retracted their subpoena to him. So they knew they had no case, which is all this whole stage acting has been. It, it, it is a court of public opinion trial. And that's not how the Senate trial works. It's supposed to work practically like a criminal court trial. Now, it's not always a crime being tried there, but it has to have the same level of fact and data and reality behind it to reach the two-thirds majority vote. Okay, And the fact that even Romney refused to vote for the obstruction of Congress shows that his vote for the abuse of power article was just a political statement, like every other piece of opposition he's had towards Trump for the last three and a half years. Now, I don't like Trump. I don't like a lot of things he says. I, I don't like most things he does. He does not act like a Christian man. But voting to remove a president from office, no matter how much you dislike the person, because of your own emotional opinions, not for constitutional grounds, is dangerous precedent to set. And it's scary how many self-proclaiming Christians use their religion as reasoning for either supporting or opposing a political party. Guys, if, if we're following Christ, if we're following the letters Paul wrote, we are to submit ourselves to the authority of the state in as much as it has justified legal authority. Uh, we are not supposed to allow government mandates to override objective biblical morals. But in as much as the state has authority over us and their demands of us do not directly conflict with biblical moral lifestyle, we are to submit to them. What we are not required to do and even told not to do is worship the state. And the level of support for politicians that a lot of self-proclaiming Christians have today is state worship. There, there is no left and right or hard and easy about it. It is state worship. And Christians need to evaluate their own dependence on supporting a political party 
or supporting a person because of the letter next to their name or supporting them because of lip service they give to special interests you have, whether it be the right to life, uh, you know, basic income, health care, stuff like that. If you are a Christian, the first thing that you should be looking at before you support a politician, whether it be with your vote, with your public support uh, in word or tech in written form on social media or otherwise, especially with money, you should be evaluating how they compare to the standard of a person in the Bible, right? If, if someone like Trump is who you think you should be voting for, so be it. But don't defend the morality or the God-given power of the man, uh, political power, not spiritual power, as caused and initiated by God without first going to the Scripture and making sure you understand what the Scripture says about government, about politicians, about quote-unquote kings and leaders, and what their authority is, and whether it's truly God giving it to them or God permitting them to have it. Okay, God permitting something to happen does not mean God caused it to happen. Without getting into the whole... Uh, causal determinism that I disagree with in Calvinist theology, even within that perspective, all right, the Bible says God does not cause sin. So if a leader who is right for the times is sinful in every way imaginable, God is not endorsing that in as much as he created it or caused it. He may be allowing it because it's the right thing for the right time. It's basically what we deserve, right? As much as we deserve punishment for sin. But please, whether it's a political party that you like because you feel good about it, or it's facts and details about interaction during a State of the Union address, or it's something going on with an impeachment or similar type trial, we as Christians should depend on our Christian morals as the foundation of our interaction in the public world, in government or otherwise, not vice versa. So... A little bit of a rant today, but it's been an interesting week in politics, and I felt since Wes wasn't with me, I didn't want to broach the subject that we had planned, so we will get on that next week. Um, I want to stop there because I'm already too much in the weeds and I'm on my high horse, uh, but please be considerate of if if you are a Christian. If you're not, you know whatever your moral core is, is completely the source of what you decide to support politically. But if you are a Christian, your source of decision-making related to government authority, politicians you're willing to back and stand up for, giving money to political purposes 
most importantly, should be founded on what the Bible says our responsibility, our goal as Christians should be. And I will leave you with that. Now, I don't access or see our Facebook page as uh, easily and as thoroughly as Wes does, so I don't have access to the likes. So if you have liked in the last week, Wes will pick that up next week and acknowledge you and thank you for following us uh, when he rejoins me next week. But I will leave you with this one thought. Paul did say that we are to submit to the authority of the state, of the government. But Paul, nor anyone else in Scripture, ever told us that we should lean on them as our moral, our spiritual leaders. All right. Uh, in the in the Old Testament times of kings anointed by God, the, the Jewish people had kings who were the spiritual leaders. But that is not the world we live in, in the post-resurrection Christian world. So don't treat leaders in government as if they are equivalent to an apostle or to Jesus himself. Be mindful, uh, be discerning about who you support and what it means in reflection to your witness as a Christian for people who may disagree with you or that politician. Uh, What does active, vehement support of people who are misrepresenting Christian values what, what, it, what effect does that have on your witness to others? I will leave you with that. Thank you for joining us again this week, and we will see you again next week. Peace and love to you all. Change your flows inside you. You hate what has been.